Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska on this snowy day. Well, I can tell you one good piece of news is my cat came back home. I came home from a trip and one of my cats was lost for about 24 hours. And he came back home finally. So all is good here in the Kiski. And I just want to thank everybody for listening, watching, and reading Must Read Alaska. And for folks that donate to help keep the lights on, I want to say thank you. $5, $10, $100, everything helps. If you want to help keep the lights on, just go to mustreadalaska.com. And on the right-hand side, there's a little donate button. And you could click there and donate 5 bucks or 10 bucks or 10000 bucks if you want. Every penny helps. And we're very thankful for every dollar that comes through the door. Um, without further ado, I want to welcome a special guest to the show, Scott Kendall. I want to uh, tell folks a little bit about him, just for folks that maybe been living under a rock scope. Scott Kendall was, and Scott, it, I may totally screw up your bio, so it's not my intentions, but you were uh, a special counsel to Lisa Murkowski at one point. You helped with the write-in election where uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski's uh, historical win. I think there was only one other senator in the history of the U.S., that won a, as a write-in. Um, you were uh, one of the creators of ballot measure two, ranked choice voting that passed, and you were former chief of staff to Governor Walker. And I just want to say welcome to the Mustard Alaska show. Yeah, thanks a lot, John. I, I did early in my career, I did a little work for Don Young and Ted Stevens, but yeah, that's sort of the sort of the bio. Nice. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And I just want to also remind folks that um, you know, there's going to be folks that listen to this interview that, you know, they wanted, they probably want us to sit here and yell at each other. And I don't think that's either of our styles. I'll speak just for myself. This show, I want to showcase folks and showcase what people are all about. Some people may or may not agree with that. I don't like ranked choice voting. Scott Kendall obviously does. And we're going to sit here and have a conversation about what that looks like. So I think folks uh, that oftentimes it's this kinds of conversations that are missing in just everyday life here and, and not only in Alaska, but all over the U.S. People are unwilling to have a conversation with the other folks that they may or may not disagree with. So trying to street a lot, get a little rocky at some point, but we appreciate everybody hanging on for the ride. So uh, my first question to this is, Scott, what got you excited about uh you know, undertaking ranked choice voting initially, because, you know, you you had to collect a lot of signatures, lots of work goes into it. What was that thing that ignited your belly uh, when you first thought, oh, I'm, I might want to take this on, I might want to spearhead this? Um, you know, it, it might um, surprise you, but um, prior to 2019, I'd never given two thoughts to ranked choice voting. I was sort of vaguely aware it existed in Maine, but I wasn't a fan, um, really wasn't. Um, what I was looking at when I was kind of first um, conceptualizing ballot measure two was open primaries, um, you know, better turnout in our primaries, because we really, um, I mean, I'm sort of a fan of the more people vote, the better, you know, the better, the more representative the results. And we have a primary 
you know, both by the exclusivity of sort of splitting the ballot between parties and by the timing of it. I think mid-August, a lot of people have better things to do in a beautiful Alaska that we, you know, we have 10% of our voters deciding who's going to win in the fall. And so to my mind, I was, um, I kind of think of it like free market elections. Like our elections by and large were competitive. They were decided in the primary by a relatively small number of people. And it's not even the partisanship of those people. It's when I see things like, you know, 6% of John Coghill's constituents voted against him and he lost. To me, that doesn't seem like a representative outcome. Now, Rob Myers may have run against him in a, in this system and still beat him, but it just, it, it, it leaves a bad taste and it, it flips the incentives of legislators in particular. You know, they're thinking about that 10% that shows up for a primary and votes in their closed party primary ballot, and they're not thinking about the bigger picture. So I sort of started thinking about this in terms of top two primaries. And then I looked at what was going on in California and Washington who have those. And I said, no way, because that made races less competitive. You know, no one wants to go. I mean, it happens from time to time, but people really don't want to go to the ballot and have two Republicans or two Democrats to choose from. They want a variety. So I sort of thought Alaskans are weird. 60% of us don't affiliate with either party. Maybe we give them three or four choices. And then I sort of fell backwards into ranked choice voting, thinking, well, we've got to sort this out at the end to make sure, you know, one person doesn't just get 30% and win. Yeah, it's funny. It's oftentimes uh, in conservative circles, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a registered Republican. I'm involved in my precinct. A lot of the conversations is, why can't, why can't the conservative party be more effective, especially this last maybe four years? And the funny answer I often give is, well, we don't have Scott Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, know, I, you, you found a way to, I, I assume you're probably nonpartisan um, regis, registered. Um, I was I actually, um, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's a funny story or not. For most of my adult life, I was a registered Republican up to actually January 7th of 2021. Um, when the insurrection happened, I contacted some leaders at the party. I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a member of this party. What are we doing here? We got to condemn, you know, the, the Capitol riot. And I got pushed back and I'm like, no, I don't care about blaming President Trump or anything else. I'm just saying I'm from a law enforcement family. My brother's been a cop for 26 years and they're beating cops with flagpoles. We got to. And so maybe stubbornly, maybe in a fit of you know, annoyance. I quit the party. So I'm a nonpartisan now, but up until January of last year, I was a Republican. Nice. Well, I like to say that you're the king of the middle. So, um, <laughs> well, I was uh, always, a, I mean, I do have to admit I was a moderate Republican. You know, I've been, I've always been pro-choice. I've always been, you know, uh, you know, pro-gay marriage to whatever extent or more pro-privacy. Like what people want to do is what people want to do. Um, so maybe a little different flavor of Republican than a lot, but I don't, I got enough Republican friends to know those views aren't that unique. You know, we have a rich continuum, I think, in both parties. So what what kind of I think a lot of folks think um, I'm going to do a ballot measure and I'm going to go get a couple signatures and I'm going to send a letter to the lieutenant governor and we're going to change things. Tell me the level. You know, you don't have to give away your secret sauce, but <laughs> tell, me, tell us the level of planning and prep that goes into what was now a successful ballot measure. I mean, I just, I assume it's just ludicrous. Uh, it's, it's different. I mean, it's a hard process. And I think for a reason it should be, you shouldn't just be able to throw, you know, I've 
you know, I grew up in Washington state. We would have 32 ballot measures on the ballot. California, you know, Florida's got the multi-page ballot. It should be hard to do. It really should. And, and um, you might not know this, but I actually authored uh, one prior ballot measure, the Bristol Bay Forever ballot measure in 2014. So I had a familiarity with the process. And I sort of, um, you know, there's the procedural steps, but there's also sort of the vetting step, which I think a lot of people miss out on, whether it's the, um, you know, the fair share initiative or whatever. It's clear a lot of folks don't do the vetting process, which is, you know, I scraped together a little funding and I pulled it. I said, you know, do people even want this? You know, what do they want? Do they want open primaries? Do they want a different way? And they did in the polling. So it was viable. And I think that's a really important step. But even once you get to that step, then you get to the technical drafting. Got to get it right. Got to get it within the bounds of the Constitution because we ourselves had to litigate to get booklets because Attorney General Clarkson said, doesn't work, doesn't obey the single subject rule. We disagreed and we won. Um, but that's another, you know, that's yet another step. And you got to win every time. You lose in court, you're done. You don't get signatures, you're done. And the signature process, for what it's worth, um, and I wish it wasn't this way, but you really do need significant funding even to get through that process. Yeah. Because it's not just 10% of prior turnout, it's 10% of prior turnout. And as a subset of that, you need 7% of turnout from 30 of the 40 house districts, which you can imagine like, oh, Anchorage, that's easy. Fairbanks, not so bad. But you know, getting signatures in rural Alaska, getting enough signatures, it's its no small task. Yeah, I imagine you have to employ firms to help you gather signatures because at the end of the day, people can volunteer, but when you need 75,000 signatures, you can only get so, squeeze so many volunteer hours out of folks probably. Well, and, and the funny thing about it, and, and I love volunteer work and I wish it worked through pure volunteer work, but a volunteer who's fired up about your issue, they're having a series of five-minute conversations with people at Fred Meyer, REI, whereas a commercial signature gatherer is just getting those signatures. Because just, you know, 40,000, 42,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but it's, it is a, it is a trudge. It's a lot of you work. Have to, you have to, I'm not an expert by any means, but I think you have to space them out depending on precincts, how many signatures get gathered yeah. out of this precinct in Anchorage compared to this precinct in Kenai. There's a and science to, and this exact right. math that goes behind it. And then you right. got to get a buffer and you've got to go validate because of course, you know, if someone wrote Mickey Mouse, that ain't working. The The division of elections does an incredible job of they validate every one of those signatures. So it is, it's, it's quite difficult. And so if somebody's got an idea and 500,000 bucks in funding, that's probably not enough to get something done in terms of a ballot initiative in Alaska, it's going to take a couple million bucks is what I, what I would assume. I mean, it is because it is easier to get to no than to yes. I think that's just true. Um, that's the thing is two thirds of people start out at no on a ballot measure. Just generally, they're like, what is no. this you're putting in front of me? It's kind of the inverse of the judge thing. Just there's people who just sort of muscle memory. I just vote no every time. And you got to give them a reason to vote. Yes. So, um, Let's go back to specific ranked choice voting. I'm curious, how do you think that affected this election cycle? I think you had two, maybe three camps of people liked it, people hated it. And then you had people that were kind of in the middle that I think a lot of people, it was new to them and they just didn't understand it. You know, myself included sometimes. I'm like, I don't, this is way too smart for me. So how do you think it affected this election cycle? And do you think it was positive or negative? 
Um, you know, we we've done um, some polling to see, you know, what voters thought. So there's several kinds of experiences, how candidates experience it. There's how voters experience it. And from what we've seen, by and large, voters liked it. You know, there's certainly, I would say, a third of Alaskans that are fairly resistant still. Um, but most people, virtually across the board, people thought, I understand it. I understand how to do it. Um, but it was really, um, the support has been growing since it was passed. So that's an encouraging sign is that, you know, it's what they saw in Maine. In Maine, they passed it by ballot measure. People didn't know about it. They tried it. They liked it. The legislature actually repealed it. The people did a people's veto and put it back in place. So when people encounter it, they tend to like it. Um, the people who tend to get confused, I think sometimes are just overthinking it. I mean, it really is as simple as ranking your people in order. And there's no, you know, for example, there's no strategic advantage to not ranking a second person. Because if your first person is still in the race, your ranking never moves. So there's kind of literally, you know, I've talked to people on both ends of the spectrum and both ends of the spectrum think they've got the secret sauce to, you know, I should do this and then, and then rank the person I don't. It's like, no, I mean, if it helps you more, start at the fifth ranking, you know, rank the person you hate and then work your way up, however you do it. But it's literally as simple as just putting them in order. So do you think it had a, in your mind, do you think it had um, a positive outcome for its first test here in Alaska's first run? I, I do in the sense that it's representative. Um, you know, people saw results and they're like, you know, how on earth does the Constitutional Convention fail, but Governor Dunleavy win handily, Lisa win, Mary Peltel, you know, explain it to me. And I said, you know, Alaska voters are complex. We're not red, we're not blue, we're blue and gold. You know, we I can imagine a voter who says, um, I like Mary Peltola because I'm worried about fish issues. But you know what? Governor Dunleavy this year, he moderated. And maybe I like the Reeds Act or something else. Or, you know, hey, not for nothing. Everyone got 3400 bucks. That's a but I think everyone sort of sees that the candidates that acted logically and sort of moderated to the middle were rewarded for that. And I don't mean middle in terms of mushy, you know, no values. I mean, middle in terms of where most people live, right, in their day to day life, like. I got a neighbor who's a Republican. He needs help with his snowblower. I help him. I got a neighbor who's a Democrat. They're, they need their tire changed. I help them. Like those people, as opposed to people who, you know, I think the very, very small number of people who literally see the other side as the enemy. I think that's the minority. So um, I think a big question conservatives have, um, you know, I pride myself on knowing the heartbeat of the person who lives in the wood woods in Alaska because I live in the woods in Alaska with my wife on the Kenai Peninsula in a town that people only drive to if they work or live and so when I when I talk to those kinds of people which is myself included they their stance is you know ranked choice voting was put in place so Lisa Murkowski could win do you think Senator Lisa Murkowski and Congresswoman Petola wins without ranked choice voting a month ago that just happened. What's your yeah, thoughts you know, or opinion? It, it's it's a tough chicken and egg thing. Um, it really is because, um, you know, when you try to reverse engineer it, how do you get there? I mean, if you just say, well, we took out the ranked choice voting element, well, of course, Mary Peltola wins because, you know, the Republicans were splitting the vote. But when you talk about, okay, if the whole system was gone and we were just under the old system, well, with Peltola, what we would have had is the parties selecting who their candidates are. So you'd had one Republican, one Democrat, maybe you would have had a nonpartisan gather signatures. 
but you would have had that and then you'd had a runoff. You kind of would have had what Georgia just had. And under that system, I don't think the Democrats pick Mary Peltola. She seems to be much more moderate than where their party's at, which is probably why she had some success. She's, you know, she's pro Willow, you know, she's pro on some resource development issues that I think the party would have selected someone else, probably not as viable. I don't know who the Republicans would have selected. I assume Nick Begich, but I think it would have looked very different without Sarah Palin and Mary Peltola in there. So gosh, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other, I don't know. With respect to Senator Murkowski, um, it's tough to say, you know, is, is Senator Murkowski going to run in the traditional primary? Is she going to run as a petition candidate? From the results I see, it looks like, you know, even if she'd run as a petition candidate, she would have won. Um, so I guess I guess it's sort of tough to know. Yeah, I think she had, what, 3,000 more votes than Chewbacca in the, when, when all the dust settled first, before yeah, first the time. ranked choice voting happened, kicked right. in or whatever. So I think I think it's a fair question. I don't know the answer myself either, but I think that the folks that um, really do not like ranked choice voting, that's the main question they ask. So I think they'll appreciate, you know, just hearing what your thoughts are. So I appreciate you, you know, and it's, you know, it's all make-believe scenario, right? Because we have ranked choice voting and we it's in place and those two people did win. So it's tough to say what could have happened. Um, and, and I've heard from a lot of candidates who ran who wouldn't have run under the old system, you know, on both sides of the aisle. I heard from Republicans and Democrats who said, you know, the party wouldn't have, I would have been challenging another Republican or I would have been challenging another Democrat and I wouldn't have done that, you know. But I thought the cool thing for me at least was races that would have been over were competitive to the end. You know, Kelly Merrick wouldn't have had to run a general election campaign because she won the primary, it's over. Um, same thing with Jesse Sumner, you know, he had to run all the way through. And even though you had sort of a spectrum of Republicans to choose from, you still had a competitive race because I don't know about you, but I've got diverse opinions between different Republicans and diverse opinions about different Democrats. So I think that part of it worked really, really well. So um, my next question to you is, what do you think this election cycle says about politics in Alaska? I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit before. I jokingly say that this election cycle is like um, schizophrenic because we have Dunleavy, who is adamantly pro-life, unapologetically pro-life. He has said it a hundred times. He's not afraid to say it in the speech. He's not afraid to put it in quotes. He's very pro-life. Then you have, um, you know, Senator Murkowski, who's definitely pro-choice. And then you have Mary Potola, who's unapologetically pro-choice. And it's just a huge spectrum of, of those kind of, um, you know, I think values that people care about, but the media maybe downplays a little bit. So what are your thoughts on this election cycle? Is it, is it, are we in crazy town or in your opinion, or is this something that is looked at and you're proud of kind of what happened, what this election cycle stood for? Yeah. I mean, I think it it's a reflection of Alaskans politics and Alaskans politics are not two dimensional, you know, by which I mean, you know, a line that's a continuum, it's three dimensional. People have you know, we're a small enough state, people have relationships with candidates or people have a bundle of values. Um, you know, if, if people voted solely on choice, I've seen the numbers, over 60% of Alaskans are pro-choice, but they're, you know, they're kind of voting a la carte. Maybe there are some voters who are pro-choice who voted for Dunleavy, 
because they liked other things, you know. So, for example, Typhoon Murbach hits, I think that was handled well. There was good press around it, great images. That was an, a t- nice, timely moment for the incumbent. Yeah, he's on the ground. He's right. meeting people, shaking hands. He's literally handing out, you know, whatever, you know, packets of aid. Um, I mean, that's, have, that's an Alaska well image. Yeah, that's that's how we are. So I think, you know, I I don't think it's as weird as people think. And and I probably have experience, most people don't, is I've seen hand recounts of ballots. Yeah. And so people sort of assume that ballots are always like there's a big pile of Republican ballots, straight ticket, big pile of Democratic tickets. And then there's just a few people who vote kind of across. And I'll tell you from actually looking at these ballots physically, it's not true. Like, I think probably only a third or a quarter of ballots are sort of straight ticket ballots. People in Alaska, um, you know, they may just have met the person at the door and they may be a hardcore Republican who says, you know what, that guy made sense to me. And, you know, and these issues can split people. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of Republicans um, who are very conservative, but who strongly disagree with the governor's emphasis on big PFDs versus other things. And so there's, you know, there's there's just such a spectrum of issues that I think if you think about it that way, it makes sense. Yeah. And I think you one of the points that you hit on that I do agree on is uh, Alaska is unique, probably like Wyoming and Maine, where you actually know the candidates like right. you can you can usually get to the candidate or the candidate's chief of staff very easily as an everyday Alaskan, you don't have to go through 17 hoops and wait five months for somebody to call you back. Right. You know, Lisa, any, any elected official, doesn't matter if it's Senator Murkowski or state senators, they know tons of people by name, what they do for a living, you know, the jobs that they have. And that's uh, unique to a small state like Alaska. So I think I've met people here in Nikiski that voted for Mary Patola voted for Governor Dunleavy and voted for Kelly Chewbacca. And people would would look at that and think, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I've met many people who've done that. Be- simple fact, because they had a relationship with Mary and they said, Mary's the nicest person in the world. And right. I just, you know, she's she's going to bring niceness back to politics. And that's how why they voted for her. And so um, this relational aspect that a lot of states don't get, we do get here in Alaska. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in many ways, um, I don't know if you know, Nebraska has a nonpartisan election system. And I sort of, yeah. and even though they're Republican dominated, if you drill down, their ballots just show people, you know? And I, I, I wonder if sort of like, that's where the world could be headed a bit, at least in Alaska, where, as you say, you have relationships with folks. So do you think Alaska is turning blue or more purple? What or we're already there, or it's or it's you know going to be a new shade of new color that nobody's thought of. What are your thoughts? Um, I don't. I mean, I I I have kind of disagreement with people because I I hear people at kind of both ends of the spectrum say that like, oh no, we're turning into Portland. Um, I hear people, you know, many Democratic friends that say, oh, you know, we're this close to voting for a Democratic president, and I just don't agree. I mean, I think Alaskans. I think the system is going to be more representative where Alaskans. Um, priorities lie, which, you know, there was reasons why, gosh, combined, we reelected Ted Stevens and Don Young for 90 some years. And those two 
Um, however, they acted, whatever they said, were two of the most bipartisan legislators probably of the last 50 years in Congress. You know, Ted Stevens' best friend was Daniel Inouye. Joe Biden spoke at Ted Stevens' memorial. They had those relationships across the spectrum. And, you know, because they were the Republican incumbents and kind of rolled through, they would win handily. But now we're sort of seeing um, this coming together. I don't think things are changing. I just think the system is sort of preventing aberrant outcomes where 10% of the electorate takes someone out. Um, because I think at the end of the day, candidate, quali candidate quality is what's going to rule now. And that's true elsewhere. I mean, I think if we've seen anything from this year's results, it should have been a phenomenal year for Republicans and candidate quality held them back. But when you look at um, in Virginia, for example, they used they used ranked choice voting in the Republican primary in Virginia and they nominated Glenn Youngkin and Glenn Youngkin won and yeah. shocked the world. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's there are problems that are raised when you nominate a guy who's talking about werewolves and vampires and, you know, voters at the margins are just sort of like we got to be, you know, these, these are serious times. We've got to have serious candidates. So um, do you have any, la do, you, do you have any last minute thoughts? Our 30 minutes has went by in a flash. I um, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I think it's hopefully you'll come back again. You're welcome anytime. And again, I want to remind folks that um, people need to have conversations. You know, uh, Scott and I disagree on ranked choice voting. I'm not a fan. Scott is a fan. We, it's this shows you can sit down and have a conversation with somebody without screaming and yelling at them and you know calling calling names at each other. So I think we need more of this, not less. And uh, it's okay to disagree with people and still be friendly and have a good conversation. So Scott, I appreciate you joining us on the show. Do you have any last minute thoughts before we head off? No, I, I mean the one last thing I'd leave you with is I think I hope the diversity of the election results um, and future election results that this ages well, that people kind of over time, you know, realize that the election system isn't scary. They note the fact that you know there was three races that sort of flipped. One Democrat pulled ahead of a Republican, but two Republicans pulled ahead, and you know it's a system that's neutral, and you know use it the right way as a voter. Use it. Use your power, and as a candidate understand it and understand, you know, that if you're maybe if you're Kathy Giesel um, running for Senate, you got to talk to Democrats. And if you're a Democrat, you're you're Jesse Keel running in Juno. He probably doesn't need any help because he's usually. Yeah, he got he got 95 percent. He's doing pretty good. <laughs> right. But you should talk to Republicans, right, because you represent them all. Um, and there are good ideas everywhere. So that's what I hope to leave people with. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks, everybody, for tuning into the Must Read Alaska show. Um, I want to thank everybody who listens, watches, and reads as Must Read Alaska. Our numbers this year are ridiculous. We've reached over, I don't know, close to 100 million people so far this year on social media alone. 100 million people, it's a big number. And uh, about 10 to 15 million people through our website and Google and our partnerships with the um, syndication channel. So lots and lots of people are reached this year with Must Read Alaska. And it's because folks uh, like you that are listening, watching and reading. So thank you so much. And I will be back on Friday with uh, Representative, uh, I can't remember, but I'll be back on Friday morning with, with a representative talking about uh, his race. So until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Scott, thanks again for joining us. Welcome back anytime. Yeah, thanks, John. Talk soon.